0: listening to Mastering Retention presented by UserWise.
1: Hi, everyone. Uh, Welcome to today's episode of the Mastering Retention podcast. I'm really excited to have, okay, I should have asked your name before we dove into this. Is it Shrikan?
0: Yeah, it is uh, Shrikan. Uh, You can call me Peru. That's how. uh, friends in the industry call me.
1: All right, we'll we'll go there. Um, (laughs) So I'm I'm super excited to uh, have you on the show today. You know, I think we're going to be talking uh, a bit about, you know, just the general idea of game operations, which is um, something that I really feel like has evolved over the last like 10, 15 years where you know, back in the day you used to ship the game and then you would work on version two or three, you know, uh, but now we've really transitioned to this games as a service. And I think every year we're getting more and more sophisticated. There's more and more segments, there's more and more campaigns, more personalized experiences. And, you know, I, I think for some companies that are kind of top tier, they've stayed on top of that trend and stuff, but for a lot of other companies that are trying to really deeply understand, like, how do I maximize the, uh, value of my players while also providing them the best possible experiences um, i think this level of operations comes in so uh super excited to, to really dive in today but before we do that i always like to ask you know what's the story of peru like how did you get here how did you get into games and you know end up doing what you're doing today
0: thanks for having me uh tom um uh, so uh, i've started my uh, career uh just in the gaming industry, just by chance. Uh, I I had I played games in the past before joining the gaming industry, but uh, my entry into gaming is uh, purely by chance. One of my friends was working at a real money casino uh, company. Um, so he had suggested uh, um, me to join there and then I just gave it a shot. And it was back in 2005. And ever since um, I, I just continued in the... Gaming industry. I've worked at the different companies at different roles and different uh, kinds of products and platforms. It's been uh, close to 17 years that I've been in the industry, um, and it still feels fresh. Right, so there are so many things and uh, to learn, and uh, how things change every day is what uh, keeps the uh, uh, the job in the gaming industry very exciting.
1: That's amazing. You know. Reflecting back, like when you got started, like how are how are things different <laughs> from like 2005 to, to where we are today?
0: Uh, in, in 2005, uh, at least when I joined, I did not have a full understanding of gaming. I was mostly on the processing side because it was a real money gaming company. I was mostly working on the back end processing uh, players mainly to do deal with the uh, the transactions. Uh, I was on the transactions team. We would look into the the payouts that the uh, the players would uh, uh, cash out to their uh, bank accounts or different kinds of payment options, and we would validate them. And also, uh, I briefly worked on the resolutions department, where our job was to basically collect the uh, um, the outstanding amounts from the players uh, who would default after they play the the tables. Uh, for the first couple of years, I wasn't uh, fully aware of uh, you know how the games are built. I was, But I, I actually um, understood a lot about what happens in the back end, especially in a real money gaming company. Uh, but I think that helped me a lot uh, in the years to come as to, you know, how do you run these operations and how do you make these decisions about, um, um, you know, how, what, what would work best for the player from the player perspective? Because we used to talk to players on a daily basis, right? So we used to hear a lot of, uh, we used to hear a lot from the players, and that gave me a lot of insight about how players would think. Um, and after that, um, yeah, I I started uh, in a QA uh, department. So um, there, the, the gaming was entirely different, especially from the Indian perspective. Mostly, it was not about uh, the game development per se, but it was mostly about uh, uh, the uh, services based industry that was developing in India, where the companies were offering services to a lot of uh, uh, companies overseas in terms of uh, QA or some development and art um, outsourcing work that was happening here. So my understanding start of game development started from there, where the initially it started with game QA, and then I became an art producer. Then I started to understand more about art production. And then I became a game producer, so started understanding more about production. To your question specifically about what changed from then to now, is yeah. um, in the past it was mostly about you would just build a game. It was mostly designer centric or whatever uh, a great idea a designer may have. You build it and uh, launch it and and you expect you expect it would work. Um, whereas now you basically um, it's more heavy on the live operations in terms that you would still have the designer focus when you're building the game, uh, but you still uh, need to. Uh, you need to refine it at every every step, as compared to uh, as compared to uh, ten years ago, right? So I think uh, yeah, it's more operations operations focused, I believe now as compared to what it was uh, ten years ago.
1: What does live ops mean to you or, you know, what is, you know, gamer operations? I, you know, I think sometimes I hear people say live ops and there's a slew of different things that people kind of throw into that bucket. So, you know, when you think about it, uh, purely from a game operations side, like what does that actually mean or entail?
0: Uh, so from my perspective, uh, it just means
1: only one single thing and nothing else. Uh, though there may be
0: many definitions to it. According to me, it's just about understanding the player and providing what the player needs uh, or player wants uh, at any given point in time. And then that intelligence has to keep developing uh, at every step because uh, once the game is out, it is live and you are basically reading uh, uh, about what the player wants, how the player is behaving and uh, constantly keep improving your game to cater to those uh, needs of the player. So, to me, live operations or game operations is, is all about uh, constantly trying to understand what the player wants and try to, um, you know, uh, try to build or try to um, make changes to your game
1: so that it would
0: uh, it would serve uh, the players uh, as they expect the
1: game to be serving. I like that a lot. <laughs> I like that definition a lot. Um... I think the, you know, interesting kind of challenge within there then would be how do I actually understand what a player wants? Like, are do you use a lot of, like, data analysts and data scientists that, you know, they try to bring stuff about? Like, do you use focus groups? Do you use surveys? Like, you know, how do you figure out, you know, what each player wants? And, you know, one thing that I've seen happen um, like strictly using data per se of like looking at, I don't know, an ARPD out trend or something like that. It all kind of tends to go towards averages. Whereas like this group of players probably likes this particular thing about the game and that's what they want. And then this other group of players probably like something different about the game. I know that because when I play a game with, you know, even four friends, we all enjoy different aspects about the game. Uh, but I don't know that that's very crystal clear when you're kind of on the outside. So, like, how how do you go about uh, actually understanding what these players want? Uh,
0: so, it basically, in my opinion, depends uh, on trying to understand the player from uh, from um, how the player behaves in the game. And uh, now we are talking about the live operations. We are talking about a player that who is already in the game, right? So, it basically uh, depends on. Um, in my opinion, uh, uh, at what at what stage the player is in and what is the uh, the the player action is, and of course, yeah, to your point about the game analytics, yeah, there a lot depends on the game analytics, and uh, uh, there is a lot of data, but how you read that data is also very important. Uh, at the at the end of the day, you're making use of that data and trying to understand uh, what are the players' actions are and uh, 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 what what is the kind of a user uh, that we are dealing with and trying to understand um, uh, what the player is looking for at every step of the way is very important. And uh, yeah, you usually when you launch a game, uh, uh, as most would do as a mistake in the gaming, uh, mobile gaming, especially F2P, uh, is basically try to put them under uh, certain buckets that are very loosely defined at a very high level and try to always uh, define some, Uh, campaigns around them and push them rather than, you know, trying to uh, kind of over-index them and trying to understand what exactly Okay, now we have first level of understanding about the players and put them in buckets. Now, how do we look at these players and try to distill more information out of this and then see what exactly their actions are? Like, for example, if if I may give an example, now uh you uh, most of the companies what they do is that um they put the players in okay even payer a non-payer or a tenured payer or new user uh, new user uh, bucket and they try to actually design few campaigns and they just keep rotating them and most of the companies fail there mainly because they're not trying to understand that okay this player comes into the game every day and uh, he is kind of a You know, uh, he's a big uh, player of spin wheel, just an example, right? So this player constantly comes in the game and goes to the spin wheel every day. Uh, Even if it were to be uh, a paid wheel, uh, he would go and pay uh, a few times to spin the wheel and directly go to the core of the gameplay and not engaging in any other aspect. So this player categorization based on their gameplay is also very important and uh, th- this needs to be built in uh, so every time we build a feature this needs to be kind of built in uh, so you you basically are trying to understand what is the success criteria of a feature and then broadly define that and uh, that success criteria uh, it's, it's from the pers- uh, perspective of uh, how do you categorize these players and then break them down into uh like um let's say different uh, segments. Now, the, uh, and this is from the feature perspective, not only from the player perspective, this is from a feature perspective that this feature, if it were to be successful, that this is the success criteria, and these are all the segments that the player's all in. Now, mm-hmm. let's say if you are tracking that data over the next few days, and then constantly trying to understand that a player consistently is falling in a bucket, Uh, or a segment that uh, does not match our success criteria showing a campaign that is not useful about that particular feature to that campaign uh, to that user doesn't make any sense, it is, it's, it's no use, right? Oh, yeah. So, uh, going to that level of detail is very important, uh, in the gaming. uh, If you want to actually deliver what the player wants, that makes sense.
1: Are there any, um, high level I don't call them KPIs, but like metrics or things that like you've seen a lot of success, maybe across different games for grouping players. And what I mean by that, like, you know, is it important to look at the player's behavior of like how many times this person plays per day, the time of day that they play or like the length of their session or, you know, something else like. Are there any common trends that other people can be like, okay, well, that's somewhere that we can start grouping by? Because obviously, just grouping them by all the new players together probably doesn't get us a segment that's really that usable.
0: Absolutely, right? These are the very well
1: established
0: uh, KPIs, right? Like at what time of the day uh, do these players play, and how much time do they spend in the game, and what exactly uh, are they engaging in? These are very important. But it is also important to understand, uh, depending, like uh, we've already discussed about, if is the player a new user or a recurring user or a, a tenured user uh, in the same, and also uh, are, are these uh, basically the the returning users, right? So if they are a recurring users, how would you classify these users as uh, a return? or uh, sorry, uh, the tenured users or if they're moderately tenured. So you have a basic uh, understanding. If it's for new users, we would want a specific game level business KPI that we are trying to aim at. It could be, let's say, conversion uh, from a, a payer to a player to a payer, right? So it's important for us to understand the game analytics, game based, uh, game based metrics in terms of what they are uh, actually engaging in and at what time they're engaging in, and uh, and then this has to be married with the uh, the business kpi that we are uh, trying to target for that specific group and then uh design a campaign around it uh, so if the if the if the intention is to make the players convert to uh, payers our objective should be to uh show uh, a campaign which is um, uh, which is really worthwhile for the player to engage in in the area that the player is actually uh, interested to engage for example uh same example of a spin wheel, right? So the player is a really um, uh, a kind of a you know high engaging player in the spin wheel uh, and we are reading this data for some time. We have established that this player uh, spends a lot of time at this time of the day and mostly spends time on the spin wheel and uh, gets the rewards from there and tries to go and play the core game. So the, the chance of this player converting to a player because that is our uh, Business metric uh, is very high if we try to uh, provide them with a really juicy sale with a spin wheel rather than doing something uh, in an event that the player would never engage in. Right. So, yeah, we, we usually read all of this uh, data on a um, daily basis about uh, the player uh, sessions and what time do they log in. But also, it's important to marry it with the
1: business metric. That makes a lot of sense. For, you know, people that are starting to think about this idea of a segmented player experience, you know, something that I always like to correlate on is the idea that it's always easier to sell an umbrella when it's raining. (laughs) Right. Um, And, you know, I, I just see so many games get this wrong. Like, you know, even when I'm playing Clash Royale. And they claim to have all these algorithms, uh, you know, sophisticated of targeting and knowing exactly what the players want and when they want it. I can tell you that their algorithms are crap, man, Uh, because every time I go to the store, like it's not like I haven't been working on upgrading this card for the last like month or something. Um, So, you know, if you offered me a bunch of that card so that I could finally finish it and just be done. I probably would just do so, but you never give me that. Um, So, you know, but they're also a small team and, you know, they, are making enough money from where they're at. You could say, I don't, I don't know. Um, but you know, you think about maybe like a game size and you think about segments and, you know, is there a reasonable number of, let's say like segments that you should have? Like if I have a game with a hundred thousand daily active users, what would be maybe like the minimum, you know, viable amount of segments that are in there? Like it probably shouldn't be one, but you know how how would you divide those players up or you know does it really come down to you start with some of these high level metrics and you break them down and then as you gain more insights on those players you maybe further sub-segment those different groups
0: so i believe that it's very difficult to uh, put a number to it uh, because it depends on a lot of factors Uh, at a very high level you would want to have the segment based on uh, a very generic thing that most companies do is about uh, having um, uh, 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 having segments like a payer, non-payer, or engaging user, non-engaging user, at what time, and etc. cetera, et cetera, right? Uh, but mostly the segments should be uh, more or less equal to the features is what I say. Uh, no, no, not exactly that way. Okay, let me put it uh, another way, right? So each... Um, Feature that we launch in a game should have uh, should should have some kind of a categorization. Like we discussed already, that you know you launch a feature, then you're basically defining the success criteria, and you're categorizing a player into one of these segments based on that for the feature. So now let's say you have ten uh, such features. All those features should have some kind of a tagging, some kind of a, a definition to define the player uh, at a very high level. That is from the game perspective, the feature perspective. And also in terms of the segments, uh, you can probably have, like, uh, it, it also depends on what what does it mean for, the, for a feature or a game to be uh, successful, right? So you need to define those success criterias and then figure out how many segments uh, would it make sense and try to uh, have um, many combinations of, uh, do you want to actually mix a couple of cra- such criterias, like, okay, the person who... Uh, engages in this feature a lot and who's been active in the game for the last 30 days but he also spends money once in a while right so that would become one kind of a segment and this is something that you have to start at somewhere and then keep improving keep adding more uh, more and more uh, not necessarily adding more segments but refining these segments or optimizing these segments uh, every uh, every time we have more data about the player and keep optimizing these segments would really help uh, understand that and add more value to whatever we do for that segment of players so it's very hard to put a number to it but uh, it is more to do with um, what exactly we are trying to achieve and then try to read the players data and then keep tagging them fix uh, a bunch of combinations try it out if that is working if it is not then try to you know uh, try another combination.
1: Yeah, you, you mentioned something that um, I think is uh, kind of relevant, and and you mentioned something like, hey, you know, this player has spent in the game before, and he'll like periodically do it, but maybe he's not like a complete whale. Um, I see a lot of games that will, you know, do something where it's like, okay, the first offer I see is like a five dollar offer, and if you buy that, then it's hard coded to jump the player up to like a $10. And if you buy that, then it jumps them up to the $20 offer. Now I've seen some games where they monetize super well in those first two offers. And then they just stop because the player is like, Oh, $20. I wish I could go back to $10. The game never goes back to $10. And this player just like never spends in the game again. Um, yeah. And so I kind of firmly believe that, you know, everyone's life situation is a little bit different. Um, The amount of money you can afford to spend in a game and the time that you can spend, you know, is a little bit different. So, you know, I believe that there's probably a subset of your players that $5 a month is probably all that they can do. But if they truly love the game, that's going to be, you know, great for them as long as they're feeling like the ROI. Now there's probably other players that drop a hundred thousand dollars a day. And that's like a drop in the bucket for them. And that's totally fine. Um, But I was curious, like, would you agree with that? And if so, like, have you found any sort of way to start to figure out like, what is the right frequency of like, okay, for these $5 a month people, I'm just going to give them this great offer once a month for $5. And pretty much all of them are going to buy it. For these other players, here's this other approach so that I can find the right cadence and the right price point for each of my groups of players.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that, Tom. And uh, this is something that I, I had a, an extensive discussion about with some of my uh, friends in the past, mainly because you are very right about it when you said that you know, not everybody has like a, a budget of $100 to spend every day, right? So we need to figure out uh, one So it, it's very clear that one size doesn't fit all in the gaming industry. We need to try to understand what, what it means. And just taking a step back from that, what is important for the game developers to understand is that it's not only about how juicy the sale is and what you're trying to offer to the player, but it's most important is that the offer that we're trying to give to the player is it adding value to their experience. A lot of people try to miss that. We, it's like, you know, uh, to, to my understanding, a lot of companies behave as if they are doing a favor to the players. Mm-hmm. I think it's the other way around. right? So players play the game and the games succeed only when the players come back to the game every day. Which means that to my, to my knowledge, to my understanding, um, I, I strongly feel that every dollar uh, worth of offer that you provide to the player, has to add value to their gameplay. Uh, So if you try to understand that, uh, and you will try to understand that, okay, this player has been playing, and then uh, post-purchase data is very important for that. Now, if the player uh, has not been spending at all from the time they've joined the game, and uh, one day they make a purchase, it's important for us to understand that player data as to what exactly they have engaged in the game after they made that purchase, And then uh, I also believe in the strong uh, uh, philosophy of nudge theory. Like basically, if they're engaging in a specific uh, feature a lot, and if they're trying, like for example, there are three different currencies in the game, but they're only purchasing a specific currency. And after purchasing that currency, they're going to a specific feature in the game to engage more. The chances of them making the same purchase, again, is higher than purchasing another currency. So, instead of showing these uh, pop-ups, left, right, center on, um, uh, you know, as soon as you open the app, which do not add any value to the player because they they just end up closing those apps, uh, all those pops, right? So, they would want to, like, if you uh, try to show some kind of a small uh, um, uh, tag or some kind of a, <clears throat> you know, uh A banner that just slides in when the player goes to that specific feature. The player's journey goes from um, viewing a specific offer to making a mental note of that offer to to assessing that offer and then conversion, Uh, and then finally it leads to conversion. Now there is no specific cadence that we can immediately arrive at, but to understand how the player is engaging with the content. And uh, the content itself has to sell. Uh, content has to sell itself, right? So right. yeah, if even though you do a very good offer, a great sale, a juicy offer, but if the content is not engaging, um, it doesn't, and the player will drop off eventually, <laughs> right? So it, it is a balance of everything as to trying to understand what player is engaging in, and if you're adding enough value to the player for the buck that they're spending. Uh, plus then trying to read over a period of time as to when exactly we should uh, try to show an offer that is most likely uh, going to result in a sale. That's super interesting.
1: Yeah, I'm reflecting back on my gameplay when I played Clash Royale and I was a total jerk of a player. Um, But if you really looked at like what I would actually spend money on, it was like the little emotes and the emotes that I would buy would be the ones that I could like really taunt the opponent with after I like really made a good play. Um, Yeah, I loved those things. And so More than anything, like I didn't even care about the progression of the game. I just wanted like more different like taunts and stuff that I could use them. And so, you know, if they'd actually analyze that trend and realize that, oh, if we give this really taunting, awesome like emote, there's a much higher likelihood that he will buy it and then probably ultimately use that emote because he's done that in the past. So
0: that's amazing.
1: That's amazing. I love that. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Okay, uh, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about. So there's a, uh, a game studio that's been around for a while that I was recently talking to, and uh, they more than anything got really lucky with like organic growth and stuff, um, and have you know pretty good games. Uh, one of them, I think, like a million or two uh, daily active users, and they recently decided to go from like their five generic offers that they would just kind of always have out there to like 500, a little bit more like personalized offers. Um, I, I don't know the exact details of how they figured out how to create these ones or where they decided to pop them and things like that. Um, but I do know that it led to a significant uptick in revenue for them. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, that, that's to be expected. Again, I, I think they're closer to an umbrella when it's raining right now. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I'm curious, like, what your take is on you know, continuing to analyze and improve and optimize, you know, large number of personalized offers and stuff like that. Um, Like, I I think a lot of studios will just kind of set them and forget them. Um, But, you know, is that the right approach? Sometimes, ever, never. How often does it make sense to go back and like review the offers that are out there and potentially change them? Like, I think it's a non-trivial amount of work depending on your tools, <laughs> to like go in and change exactly. and edit 500 different offers. Um, but like how often should that maybe actually be done to continue to, you know, optimize the revenue?
0: Right. Yeah, you're right about the tools, right? So that's where the, the big play is, uh, especially for the, the game companies to actually deliver what the player needs. Uh, yeah, everybody starts at some point with those five generic offers that you refer to uh, because there is no game data per se. There is no understanding of the player per se. Uh, but uh, most companies uh, end up just being those five, right? So just just sticking to those five and expecting that the, uh, the revenues will come in. Even though most of the companies miss out uh, mainly, even, even though they have a great game, they miss out on... Uh, converting those players into uh, payers and eventually generating revenue, mainly because they're not trying to analyze the data of the players uh, at the level that they should be and then trying to surface the uh, offers that make more sense to the players. Uh, Like you just uh, explained, uh, the kind of player that you were in Clash Royale, Uh, every player is different. Every player engages in a certain way. Every player has the tendency to, you know, of feel the need to make a purchase at a certain point in time. And at that point in time, if uh, there is no right offer available to them, then that conversion possibility is missed, right? Which means that uh, like, for example, I, um, I love playing a specific game, but I don't want to spend more than a dollar, right? Uh, but the chance of me becoming uh, a $10 um, worth of player to the company uh in the future after my one dollar conversion is done because i have already invested my i've I've already already been investing money at that time now i've also invested money now from a player becoming from one dollar player to a ten dollar player is easier than from a player becoming to uh, becoming a one dollar player from zero right so once that conversion happens, I've already also invested money. So it's easy. It, it's most likely that the player if continues to enjoy the game will become a $10 player. But that game analysis and uh, the data is very important, but most importantly is about what exactly you're trying to surface to the player at what time. So just to give an example, right, of the same $1 uh, conversion that I was talking about. If I go to the game and uh, the store would reflect uh, like hundreds of offers, for different currencies it doesn't make any sense to me like let's say there are three <laughs> currencies you just show three packs which are possibly the uh, the best packs that i may choose from rather than you show me a hundred dollar pack it is highly unlikely that i would engage in that i feel that you know this game is not made for me it's not made for uh, uh, my level of uh, engagement or not not necessarily engagement but my level of uh, um uh, expenditure in the game so it is important to it, two two things right so you need to basically first start at some place and constantly keep reading that data and then try to make relevant offers to the players try to segment and try to define these players into specific segments and see what can be done and keep trying and this is this is just like with uh, just like with the uh, content Uh, that you keep pushing out to the players Uh, this is also something that needs to be regularly worked on and uh, we have to keep updating uh, these segments keep optimizing these segments trying to understand what this segment actually means because we we start with certain understanding but that understanding keeps improving over a period of time Uh, it may go from oh this segment is for non-payers to, it may change to, oh, this segment is for non-payers who are more prone to buying things if we push a certain kind of uh, a campaign on a certain day, right? So that understanding is more important. Uh, And then keep improving that. And yeah, to your question about how often we should do that, uh, in my opinion, as and when, uh, there is no specific time uh, period for that, in my opinion, whenever there is even a... A uh, small bit of information that is available about the player or that particular segment it should be up, updated and tried out yeah so it could so, be just in a day
1: so you think it's more about like understanding the players than like you know is it important to look at each of those 500 offers on a individual basis to see like what is their conversion their revenue and their engagement and stuff like that and like try different things or is it more important to like let's better understand our segments once we understand our segments, we look at the offers that are tailored for that, and how can we change them to better, you know, fit those segments that they're designed for.
0: It's the latter, in my opinion, uh, mainly because uh, the offers are just offers, right? So the offers are just there for people to buy. Uh, the offer, yeah, some some level of analysis about the offers is also important, but. Uh, the entire practice of this uh, operations and trying to understand about the players is to really know what the players want and what exactly makes the, makes them engage with our content uh makes them come back to our game the next day uh mm-hmm. so if you try to understand the segments better uh, i think offers are something that, are, that those are just configurations right so you can play yeah. different numbers the so configurations is easy but understanding the player is uh, critical and it is not easy. It will take time. We <laughs> need to spend time uh, and constantly keep optimizing that.
1: Okay. So I have a question about something and I don't think I've seen it recently, but I think that I did see it in AFK arena at one point in time. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know how it is where you are, but where I'm at um, when I go on to like my phone or something to order pizza, um, And, you know, I go to place an order for a pizza and I like pick the pizza that I want before it, like takes me all the way to like the checkout page it like pops up on my screen it's like you know people frequently also bought cookies and pop and like you know some breadsticks or something like that and there's like little add-on buttons that are like really easily and so I, you know i just picked the pizza for like twenty dollars well, maybe not that much we're, we're kind of cheaper but you know pretend it's twenty dollars and then it's like well for only five dollars more i can like add the cookie dough and for another five dollars i can add the breadstick well you know what looks pretty good. And I mean, I already spent $20. So what's another five or whatnot. And so you add a couple of those things, you end up, you know, with like a $40 bill and you're like, how did that even happen? But, you know, you're committed at this point, you want the pizza and you go through with the purchase or whatnot. Um, you know, typically in games from what I've heard is like, okay, well you want to keep the offer experience, like as slim as possible, because you want your players to just like, see it and like impulse buy it before they have a chance to like think differently. Um, But I'm curious, like, do you think something like a a build your own offer could ever work within the context of like, okay, there's like three tiers. You know, the first one is, starts at a dollar. The second one is $5 and the third one is $20. And if you pick the, you know, one dollar one, we give you like 300, you know, diamonds, which is already a pretty good deal. But now you get to pick like a item for that tier, or a couple items and something else. Now, if you go up to the, you know, higher tiers, you get more diamonds, more items, more things. Um, And, you know, the users are kind of in charge of like basically picking their own configurations. And then, you know, maybe even going further of like, after I pick that, well, you know, for only $3 more, would you like an extra 600 diamonds or something tossed into there? And so you're, you know, kind of creating this ultimate bundle, but like the user is the one driving it. giving them kind of more ownership over it and i would assume that if i went through all the pain of picking all the things that i want that i'm more likely to convert on that than you know if you just gave me something that popped up directly
0: yeah i think that is that um, um recommended options is kind of a universal phenomenon i believe uh, right now everywhere uh, when you try to purchase something it recommends a few other options um right so we, we face the same thing uh, here as well um, uh yeah, to your point right there is a uh, about the possibility of players creating their own bundles uh definitely sounds very interesting uh it is possible um in the um uh, in the boundaries set as per the game economy if something can be played around uh definitely uh it can work it can work uh, but again uh that also should be um Based on uh, the player type, mainly if you're trying to, like for example, if the, if the player has like 10 collection items of a specific kind already, and uh, if the player is purchasing diamonds along with that, you're giving these collection items, which do not make any sense to them, right? So over a period of time, it would, uh, it would mean nothing to them. So they would rather not create these bundles, uh, just go with the plain offers. But yeah, it's something that can be tried out by the companies, but uh, companies, uh, the uh, the game developers should never make a mistake of doing this uh, as a fancy way of uh, building, providing an option to the player, but it should be based on the player data. If you do not have a good understanding of the player data and try to build these uh, fancy features, uh, in my opinion, it will backfire.
1: Yeah. So it sounds like everything really starts with like understanding and grouping your players appropriately, then designing configurations and offers and messaging and and all that other stuff that's really catered to accommodate that player's unique desire, which is maybe like allowing them to go back to the pinwheel and, you know, do that more because they just seem to love the pinwheel. (laughs) So, you know, let them play it. Um, And if you can monetize that, you know, playing what they love, that's a win for them and a win for you.
0: Absolutely. Uh, one more thing I may add here is that um, even though sometimes the the play, the play uh, player data is very well read and the uh, offers are shown at the right time, but uh, some companies make a mistake of not leveraging the, uh, the, the smart communications as to how you tie... Uh, this entire offer that you are placing to the player with the smart communication which uh, in a way kind of has to um, reiterate that how important this is for you in your game play like hey you know uh, you've been doing great and then this would this would take you to the next level things like that right so smart communication is also very important that like how you place the offer and how you communicate it and how succinct you are about your information providing and so I have played a lot of games where you see the pop-ups with like uh, so much of data on the pop-up, it, it, <laughs> it kind of becomes like a novel. Over-
1: overwhelms you, are like, I gotta, I gotta click out of this to get... <laughs> yeah, just, just have to close it immediately, right?
0: So if you understand the player, you would know what exactly this player is going to buy. Show only that currency with the right kind of pricing and with right communication. Uh, the chances of uh, the player conversion are much much higher as compared to pushing the generic offers as compared to showing a lot of information in the pop-up and you constantly bombarding bombarding the players with this you know, pop-up every time you go to the lobby or go to the game and come back to the lobby or you know every possible in you know, a transition screen you show this pop-up it will annoy the players and they will and the most important thing is over a period of time if you keep showing these pop-ups the most important valuable uh, pop up that you, with which the player may convert, will also lose its value over a period of time because player doesn't care about these pop ups anymore. Mm. They will just close, right? So it has to be driven by the need to purchase. And if the player is really willing to purchase, they will go to the store and purchase it. Uh, and they are not definitely uh, dependent on when exactly you are pushing these campaigns. Uh, but also when exactly you're pushing these campaigns is also very important and how well you are placing that, uh, how clearly you're communicating the message is also important.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, I think we've got time for like one more question or, or concept that, okay, so, so story time. Uh, uh, like a month or two ago, uh, me and a buddy thought it'd be really fun to do a mastering retention podcast uh, where we basically... We played uh, League of Legends Wild Rift, like uh, a bunch going up to that. And we kind of did like a real time deconstruction of the game, um, which was super fun, focusing on their live ops and stuff. But, anyways, as I was doing research uh, going up to that, um, at one point in time, I was like, well, I should buy a new champion. Who do I want to buy? Well, I bought Timo. Um, and Timo is a fun champion. And, you know, I never felt like I was that good of a Timo player. But the game after buying him, like I don't know if they like stacked the deck or I got like matchmaking gods or I was just like amazing or something, but I went like 18 and three on Timo. I was like the MVP. I was just like tearing up the gameplay. And man, I felt awesome. Um, you know what? After that, like I was really tempted to go like I'd buy some Timo skins so that I can like show off how awesome I am. Um, I got trounced a few times after that, and it made me like want to play another twenty games to try to, like chase that feeling that I had before. Um, but you uh, know, it, it got me thinking of this idea of a psychological high or uh, the idea that after you spend money that should be like the best moment in your game and it should make you feel really, really good. Now, I think match three does this really well. And if you haven't experienced it, download Royal match, uh, because Royal match, like they are just gods at ending the game where you run out of moves and you finally set up these like two big moves and you'll blow up the whole thing and it'll feel really good. You lost a few times already. You don't want to replay the level and all you have to do is spend a little bit right now to get that plus five moves and you can do this thing that you see there, just waiting for you 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 earned it that's yours like you just got to claim it um and so it feels good to spend in that game because as soon as you spend it you get to then go blow it up (laughs) you're you're like the best because you tricked it you set up that moment you blew up the level you finally beat this thing you've been struggling with it just feels really good um so you know all that to kind of say like do you think it ever makes sense to stack the deck after you're making a purchase of like, hey, if you're in a casino game, after the person makes the purchase, we like, you know, make the chance of a huge jackpot, like nearly guaranteed. And they go in and they just like blow it away and they like feel super good. And that feeling kind of gets associated with the purchase that they just made. Or, you know, am I taken a little bit too far?
0: So I have this uh, philosophy uh, that everybody, each and every player, knows that house always wins, which means that these experiences are being created for you to have that kind of an entertainment. Everybody understands that, but uh, how you present them is what makes the difference. In your example of a royal match, uh, even even uh, if you uh, when you are in that moment, uh, you feel that you know you are getting this, and then it's a near miss. Uh, kind of uh, uh experience that you are uh, um uh, you know uh, are, are you facing but when when you look at it when you just after that game ends, when you look back right it's you know that the game is designed for you to, for for it to be uh, a nearness experience to create that kind of an experience for you to engage in, right so the in my opinion it is not much of um, um uh it, it's just that experience that was created at that moment that makes you convert so in my opinion uh player goes from a specific journey be it for a new game uh, first time user experience or first time user experience of a new feature in terms of the the, the growth the, the path that the player goes through in my opinion is basically that you first try to get uh uh, uh, discover the feature in the game or discover the game itself and try to get familiar with that. And then uh, the next stage is basically to uh, try to uh, kind of form a habit around it. Once the habit is formed, then you try to uh, try to explore more around it. And then once that... So if the player goes through all of this journey in a very well clearly defined way in terms of the level design, you mm-hmm. come to a place where that you cross all of these levels of uh, being very, uh, the habit is formed already, and then you are very familiar with the game. You have already explored the game. Now it comes to a point of getting hooked. So that is the last stage. When you get hooked, uh, it doesn't matter even if you know that it was actually crafted in such a way that you know it is made to look like you are, uh, you are going to miss this. It's a near miss. <laughs> It doesn't matter to the player. Player, even though the player knows that it is a, uh, it is you know just created. It, it's just like watching a movie, right? You know what is going to happen in the movie, right? you <laughs> have the story, but you still want to engage in that experience because uh, it doesn't matter how much you are paying at that moment to feel special or feel uh, great about uh, the experience that you're about to get, right? So, uh, yeah, I think uh, it's. Uh, uh it's all about uh, crafting that experience to the player and then uh, taking the player through that journey and uh, creating that near-miss experiences the player would try to engage uh, eventually. Because that's the experience that players are seeking in all kinds of games, be it match three, be it casino, be it any kind of a game. Players know it, but they want to engage in that.
1: That's great i love that well uh i have one last question which is the unofficial question of course because it is mastering retention um and that is you know what's one tip or trick uh that you found over the years to help increase uh player retention like how do you keep your players playing for longer
0: firstly that uh, um, at least in my uh, experience i've seen a lot of game companies make the same mistake of not trying to understand the player. So, like I initially started with, the only thing that companies should focus on besides, you know, building a feature that, you know, you go with the gut, you try to go and build what you feel will work. But once you go once it's a new game or a new feature that you go with the gut and go ahead and build it, uh, what matters after that is all about um, how uh, deeply you're investing in trying to understand new players, Right. So uh, I, I often say this, that you know uh, analysis is very important, but even after you do a lot of analysis, analysis would give you a lot of options. It doesn't exactly give you a specific answer, right? So it gives you options, analysis will give you options. So well, how better you use that, all of these options and try to test around your hypothesis, uh, around all of these options and narrow down all your uh, answers, try to get answers out of those, and try to apply them to each segment of players and attach them to the players will eventually make you uh, make you uh, understand your players better. So you can craft those specific experience to those players.
1: That's amazing. I love that. Man, this has been such a great podcast. I, I think this is, people are going to love this. So I, I appreciate all your insights and openness and honesty. Super, super great stuff. Um, if people do have, you know, follow-up questions for you or anything like that, is there a good way for them to get in contact with you?
0: Absolutely, Tom. Um, Yeah, they can always reach out uh, to me on LinkedIn. Uh, Perfect.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Hopefully we can maybe have you back sometime.
0: Thank you, Tom. Thank you so much for having me. It was uh, really fun talking to you.
1: It was my pleasure. All right. Thanks. Bye.
0: Thank you. Bye.